because I have no time to wallow in kind of like and pity myself. I just have to get through it. Like my mindset was at the time was kind of like, you know what, God, literally, this is literally what it was. I was like, God, like, I don't know how I'm going to get through this, but I can say, but I'm going to get through this. I don't know how I'm going to get all this money, but I'm going to do it. That's where your social credit comes in. So when you're borrowing £10 of someone and not paying back and you think to yourself, oh, it's only £10. No, you're, you're, you're putting a dent on your social credit. When you say you're going to meet up with someone and you don't turn up, that's a dent on your credit. You know, when you, you know, taking someone's football, even as a kid, and like, yeah, I'll bring, them back the I'll bring them the football back tomorrow, and you don't. That's a dent on your credit. Like, show people the reality of life, because I feel like social media can get people feeling upset and got people feeling insecure, because they look at this 15 to second to 60 second snapshot of someone's life, and it's like, they have the best time all the time. You know, and it's just like, no, that's, that's, that's not the truth. And that's when I was doing it, that was just me just being like, I'm just going to part of the room. It's like, you know, it's reality. You know, if I make a mistake, I make a mistake. Hello and welcome to another episode of Inspire Podcast, where we bring you leading content across business and entrepreneurship by discussing real life journeys with real life business people. Today, we are joined by a businessman who's got over 20 years experience as a barber and in business. He works with leading clients such as LeBron James, Anthony Joshua, J. Cole, Stormzy and Virgil Abloh. Also leading brands such as Louis Vuitton and Burberry at London and Paris Fashion Weeks. He's been an award-winning barber, winning awards such as 2018's Consumer and Luxury Rising Star by Black British Business Awards. And he's been featured by leading organisations such as BBC, GQ, Nike and Red Bull. He's recent author of Shaping Up Culture, which discusses how to run a successful business and empower youths and communities. And he's created schemes such as Fillet, which helps youngsters applying for new job opportunities and an in-shop runner scheme, which skills up younger staff via apprenticeships. Today's guest is none other than Mark McIver, a.k.a. Slider Cuts. Done your research. <laughs> <laughs> Google, Google makes it easy. <laughs> How are you doing? You good? I'm good, thank you. Thank you for having me on. No, yeah, thank you. We're really excited to have you. Uh, you know, as mentioned, read your book, seen a lot of the work that you're doing with uh, youths and culture on Instagram as well. So, um, you know, fits in perfectly with uh, what we're doing here. Um, appreciate I gave a bit of a background there, but could you give a better insight uh, just for our audience a bit about what you're doing with Slider Cuts at the moment and in business? All right. Well, you know, you gave a great description. <laughs> <laughs> but... Um, well, yes, yeah, Slider Cuts um, is a brand, is a business, it's a barbershop. It's um, so much more even than a barbershop because um, about 10 years ago when you could say Slider Cuts started, when I got the name, because just as a background, Slider was my nickname growing up Okay. when I was about 13, 14 years old. So when I became a barber, people still call me Slider as my name. So when I set up my website for the first time about yeah, 10, 11 years ago, I was like, what should my name be? And I thought, since everyone calls me Slider, I just call it like Slider the Barber. But then my older brother and my wife thought, you know, Cuts sounded better than the Barber, which it does. So, you know, I went with that. And that's when the brand of Slider Cuts um, began. From there, you know, I just started doing things like social media, just cutting hair, just doing what I do generally every day. But then the brand started growing and people started buying into like the personality of, um, of me. So I started doing brand collaborations with, you know, I've done like, Nike, you know, yeah. Facebook, um, you know, Izetto, um, all these different kind of like brands. And the funny thing is I collaborated with them 
and I was like a barber in a shop. So I wasn't like a, bar- a barber shop. I wasn't like, I was just a person, yeah. you know, and, but people started thinking that it was bigger than a person. It was more than me. And that wasn't even, wasn't even my intention. I was literally just like, I guess I'm a trier. Okay. So I'm the type of person I just try, I attempt to do things, you know, I don't really think it all through. I just like, I think about things, but I kind of like, if I have an idea, like if I want to learn to play an instrument, I don't think about the end goal of what I want to do with playing the instrument. I don't think about, I want to be a musician. I just think I want to learn to play instruments. So I just start. And that's what happened with my career. And, you know, then suddenly it's like, oh, Facebook want to do something with you. And I'm like, okay. Yeah. And then it's like, oh, Nike want to do something <laughs> with you. And I remember even when um, Nike contacted me to be in this advert, I said to them, oh, why? Like, you know, why do you want me though? Like, <laughs> what, what, what is it like, you know? And I was like, you know, I was like, I was even explaining to them, you know, that I'm a person, right? And you know, like, what do you call it? Um, I started giving them all these things, like, I was giving them all these reasons as to why maybe they shouldn't be choosing me. Because <laughs> not they didn't listen to you. <laughs> no, because my thing was, I thought maybe they thought it was something bigger than what it was. So I want them to be clear that they knew exactly what it was before they came here. And then it's like, oh, we thought it was bigger than this. But they're like, no, like, you know, people buy into you, like, they like you, you know, we feel like you've got a cult following and, you know, so we want to use you. You know, so over the years that, that was happening and then um, I was managing that shop, you know, co-managing that shop. I was working in DNLs, and then I came to a place where about four years ago, I was like, you know what, I want to open up my own shop because there's so many things I want to do which I can't do in somebody else's shop okay. because, you know, you've got to ask approval from the owners or, you know, there's just so much things which I just couldn't do and just like split leaderships in different views and ideas from me and the other manager to just like different ways and different things you want to do, the way you want to do things, which wasn't like a, a like a beef or nothing like that. It was literally just um, different people want to do things different ways. So I decided I wanted to open my own barbershop. I did um, about a year and a half ago. And then from there, you know, I got to implement everything I really wanted to do, you know, the ethics, the way I felt like a business should run and not have anybody kind of like questioning it because it's like this is now my business solely this is how I run business this is how we do things you know so if you don't like it don't be here yeah you know and it meant that I can implement fully all the runner schemes the fillet schemes you know all the all the outreach programs so Sada Cuts essentially became this person who's a barber but all of the things that I believe I was I'm able to now live out through the business and that is reaching out to people, you know, um, public speaking, which I could have done anyway before, which I did do before. Um, I wrote a book, but I just felt like even in writing a book, I felt like I couldn't write the book until I had my own store because it didn't make any sense to be writing about business and then you haven't actually got your own business. Even though I had, like, before I had this shop, loads of these chapters were already there. But it's like this book, it's incomplete and it doesn't make any sense unless you're running your own business. Yeah. You know, so, you know, I got to um, run my own business and I got to, you know, complete the book um, and put out the book because it didn't make sense. So, Sadakas essentially is a business person who is multifascinated in the sense of like, you know, speaking, writing books, you know, public schemes, you know, cutting hair, you know, and all of those things there and more. That's quality and like I'm sure that resonates with what a lot of people out there want to do like building their business based on their brand yeah and that's something you've done like better than most people out there and you spoke about you know how Nike reached out to you 
off the back of that and so many opportunities. Yeah. Like, how did you do that? Like, did you know you were doing it whilst you started? What was the journey there? <laughs> no, I didn't know. So I can't, I can't take full credit to be like, you know what, in the beginning, this was like, you know, my, my business plan. It wasn't. I was someone who, I was and am still someone who is like, I think of good ideas and I just live them out. So when I started doing social media heavily, I didn't have an end goal for it. I didn't know what was going to come from it. It was more so just for me that I have this thing. Everything you do, do to the best of your ability. Yeah. Whatever you do, do to the best of your ability. If you do everything to the best of your ability, you'll never have any regrets. If you're in a relationship and you do what you're supposed to do to the best of your ability, even if it ends, you cannot have any regrets because you've done what you were supposed to do. Even if it falls through, at least you can, you can look back and say, well, you know what? I tried everything. Yeah. You know, if you're in a business whether you think it's going to succeed or not, if you do it to the best of your ability, you will never have any regrets. So when I go into things like um, doing social media, even though I, there was no game plan, it was just like, you know what? No, I, there was a game plan. My basic game plan was I wanted to put out three to five video pictures of my haircuts every day so that people could see that I was consistent with what I was doing. Okay. And, you know, people... And that was all it was. I wanted people to view what I did and show, show them that, listen... I'm a barber and I felt like I was a good barber and this is what I do. It's easy to put out your best haircut, like one picture a week. But I was like, you know what? I'm putting out three to five a day. So even though these might not be the best haircuts ever, at least you can see the consistency. And that was what I was doing. Then as social media started growing and I was like, okay, now you can do videos. I was like, okay. You know, so I started putting out, you know, haircut videos. And I remember at the time also I hired a videographer and I probably was one of the first people, and this is not like me saying, oh, I'm the first person to do this, but <laughs> I was one of the first people in the UK, definitely, who started doing, like, barber videos. And I was paying a videographer to, you know, come film and do, like, 15-second videos. And that really resonated with people and really kind of, like, blew up to some degree. And people were, like, really buying into it. But I, had, I still had no end goal. I was just doing it. So if you ask me, why were you paying this videographer you know, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of pounds every month. <laughs> what was the goal? What were you trying to get out of it? And you know what? I don't know. Yeah. I was just like, you know, I had this idea where I thought I want to put out all this information. So I cared more about the thing I was doing more than what I was getting back from it. I was like, you know, I want to put out these good videos and good quality videos. Yeah. And um, I got all these things I want to say and I want to put it out in a really neat way. And I just did it. I didn't even think, you know, what was you know, what, you know, would you want back from it? Yeah. You know, so I was just doing it. And, and, and what I did essentially was I built a brand. So I built a brand before I built a business. That's smart. But, you know, <laughs> but it wasn't planned that way. But I yeah. built, and when I say obviously a brand is your business, but in a sense of, I built, I was branding heavily before I even had the idea and the scope of what the business was going to be. Yeah. You know, and it worked well because it meant that when I was like opening up this shop, I didn't have to kind of build up. It was kind of like, you know, I had barbers that wanted to come here. I had loads of these clients. I was overflowing with clients. So it's like, I could pass on clients to people. I had a brand already, like people walking by saying to me, oh, Santa Cuts has got a new location. I was like, well, no, this is like my first location. Cause, but they thought for everything I was doing before, that yeah. must've been already a business, already kind of like a, um, a, sh a barber shop, you know? So yeah, um, I never had a plan fully. I just kind of like had ideas and just lived them through. But then as things started to flourish, I started planning things. So I remember saying I wanted to do public speaking. 
And I said to myself, okay, if I want to do public speaking, what I need to do is get people used to the idea of me speaking. So I need to keep putting out talks. So on my Instagram, on my YouTube, I kept putting out talks. And I did that for about, you could say, two years. Then I remember, then I started getting asked. About two years later, I started getting asked to do all this public speaking. And I remember a few of my clients who I spoke to about it said to me, I remember when you said you wanted to do public speaking. And I remember when you put that in place where you said, oh, you know, you're going to keep doing these talks. And now you're getting all these talks and people ask you to come here and there and wherever. And I was like, yeah, that was planned. Because it's like, you know, if I realized that, you can't just say, I want to be a public speaker, then go to people and say, yeah, you know what, take me on, I'm a speaker. You have to show them you're a speaker. People yeah. have to get used to it in their mind that they've seen you speaking, you know, and that's how it happened with me. They started public speaking from there. So that was planned out. But the whole business thing, it was more so kind of like, you know, if you can see like 10 feet ahead, yeah, that's all you can see. My thing has always been, well, you know, try and get to that 10 feet. But what you realise is every foot that you go forward, you see another 10 feet in front. So if you go two feet in front, now you're seeing 12 feet from when you started. And that's just how I've just lived, you know, just go to where you can see. But every time you go forward, you'll see even further forward. Yeah. And wh- while you're building that brand and, you know, you didn't have an end goal, like, it, it can be tough putting yourself out there uh, yeah. on social media. Were you never, like, scared? What, what was going through your mind? I wasn't, was I scared? No, I wasn't scared, to be honest. I was just like, I'm just putting myself out there. Like, I've realised from a long time ago, and this is something that people need to realise, that, there are more people who are like you and think the same way as you than you realise. Yeah. So social media can give the image that everything's perfect and everybody's a great speaker and they're great dressed and, you know, they look, look at me right now. I'm, I haven't got a haircut, <laughs> you know. And I would have expected that. I know, yeah. you know what, to be honest, in the last couple of weeks, I don't know, I've just let it grow out. I'm not even yeah. sure what I'm doing with it or why I'm doing it. But I'm just like, you know what, I'm just going to... I don't know what I'm doing. But, you know, but social media, you know, gives the impression that you know people are always looking sharp yeah. and I've kind of made it my duty to be someone that puts out realness and what I mean by realness is just the reality yeah I have haircuts sometimes I don't have haircuts all the time you know um I record hair, haircuts I do some of them are fantastic some of them are okay you know um I make mistakes on camera I don't delete them I put them out there if people get at me in the shop like the, my colleagues you know, I put it out there. I have this rule where I say to people, I'm going to put it out anyway. Yes. You know, even if it's getting at me, it makes me look bad, I'm going to put it out there. Unless it's kind of like some private business. Outside of that, I'll put it out there. And I really feel like it's my responsibility, in the, especially in the position I'm in, to like show people the reality of life. Because I feel like social media can get people feeling upset and got people feeling insecure because they look at this 15 to second to 60 second snapshot of someone's life and it's like, they have the best time all the time. You know, and it's just like, no, that's, that's that's not the truth. And that's when I was doing it, that was just me just being like, I'm just going to part of the realness. Like, you know, it's reality. You know, if I make a mistake, I make a mistake. Yeah. I, I love that realness. And you speak about it in your book as well. And it, it ties in with uh, something I wanted to ask you next. Like, looking at social media these days, you can assume that setting up a business, creating success is a lot easier, easier. than it is. People mm-hmm. think they're going to walk right through life. But, you know, as mentioned, you spoke about how you know difficult the journey is yeah. can you give a bit of an insight into you know the challenges and risks you had to you know get get to having your own business and brand it's um <laughs> for what i've done it yeah it's a big risk even in the book in you know the chapter the struggle is real yeah, yeah i don't outline everything because there's a few things i left out like there's one thing in particular i left out because i lost a lot of money on our investment during that time as well 
but I didn't put it out there because my wife knew we lost money, but she didn't know how much we lost. <laughs> Does she know? She still doesn't know how oh. much we lost. <laughs> she knows we lost money, yeah. but she doesn't know. I was like, you know what? When we properly get out, <laughs> then we can look back and be like, you know what? Yeah, we lost that much. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so I was like, there's some things, you know, just for home life. Yeah. We'll save that exclusive for another time. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, the struggle is real. Like, and I thought it was important to write that chapter, I thought it was important to put out that blog yeah. at the time because people look at social media and really think it's just easy. Like, yeah. you know, you've got loads of followers right now, so it must be easy for you. And it's like, no, no, it's, it's, it's not easy. You know, yeah. I put, I've done masterclasses before. I remember my first two masterclasses. I lost money on both of them. But, you know, but I've got all these followers and I've got all these people which are interested in what I do. But then I do a masterclass and, you know, I'm given, I'm, I'm, I'm now doing giveaways and, you know, asking people to come, you want to come to fill up the spaces and then all these different things, right? But, you know, but you're a name. Yeah. So I thought it was important to put out there to understand that just because you have a following or you have a name, it doesn't mean businesses succeed because there's plenty of celebrities that have got millions and millions of followers on Instagram and yeah. got high profile and they have businesses that fail. And this is what people don't see. You know, most people only see success stories, but they don't see actually know what it takes to get there and I thought that's why I put it out there and for me the struggles were finding money because um I know people say but you know you're always booked up you you have money and like yeah I do I'm not acting like I don't make good money or you know or I'm poor or anything like that but when you're stretching yourself to expand past your ability it's always going to be a struggle so if you make a hundred pounds a week but you're trying to do something that costs you two hundred pounds you're making good money as example but you're trying to you know extend yourself way past that hundred pound mark and that's what i was doing you know having a shopping shortage you know the, um the buying the lease costs yeah. so much money you know i'll tell people that how much it cost me to buy the lease it cost me sixty thousand pounds sixty sixty five thousand pounds to buy the lease you know that's not the rent that's not fixing up the place and i was like wow i need to find that money and it was originally twenty eight thousand, and then the leaseholders just doubled it on me over doubled no it you know like you know they just kind of realized that actually we can get more for it I was like, what we had an agreement. So imagine we've got an agreement, I've budgeted, okay, I need to find 28,000 to buy the lease, and then suddenly they're telling me now, no, it's 60,000. I'm like, <laughs> wait, what? What was their reasoning? That they can get more money. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> there was no yeah. kind of like, yeah. um, that's just, they can get more money. So I was like, oh, right, I need to find more money for that. Yeah. And then it was kind of like, okay, let me get the shot, I'm just doing a quick fit out, like a cheap fit out, then in a year's time, when business is flowing, then I will, you know, do more to it. And also because at the time, it's so, <laughs> this is so stupid, you could say, but it worked out in the end. I took the place before I got the lease. Yeah. So that's the reason why I said I wanted to do a cheap fit out. I wanted to spend 20, 25,000 to fix up the place. And then in a year's time, when I get the lease and everything like that, I will then, you know, fix it up properly. But then as, as I was going along, I realised that how am I going to fit out the place fully again once I've got people working in there? And also this place was things like rat infested. Even the room we're in right now never had a roof, had a hole in the roof. So I had to, I had to do the roof. Yeah. There were rats coming out of it. Like literally, I remember coming to view the place and seeing a rat run across. <laughs> so it's like, you know, I had to do so much stuff and I was just like, you know what, I need to do this properly. But the risk was I ended up spending £100,000, over £100,000 to fit out the place, right? But I didn't have a lease. So at any point, the leaseholder could have come and said, you know, we're not giving it to you. And I just lost my money. And then I didn't even have the money to fit out the place. So I was maxed out my credit cards, 
borrowed money off my brother, off friends, off clients. You know, I was just like borrowing money off those kind of payday loan type things where it's kind of like, you know, we borrow you £10,000, you got to pay back £20,000. There were just so much different things like that. And I guess the struggle was that I could have taken investment, but I chose not to. And the reason why I chose not to is because I knew that once the business was open, the value of my business went up. And that everybody who wanted to invest was just investing money into a business they kind of were certain was going to work out. So for them, it was kind of like a sure thing. And I just like, this doesn't make any sense letting go of, of shares at this point when I know the shares are going to go up in value as soon as the shop's open. And also, all these people are doing is adding money. Yeah. They're not coming to say, here's the idea. We should do this. We should do that. So I was like, nah, I'm doing it by myself. And that was tough because I didn't have any money and I was just like... Even up to this point now, so we're talking about I opened up this business a year and a half ago, I've still got more going out every month than that's coming in. But what, what's happened is, let's say that's zero. So, you know, a year and a half ago, you know, let's say, um, um, you know, I'll tell real figures. Let's say, I can't actually remember the figures, but <laughs> let's say that's zero, right? And I've got going out £10,000 every month, as example. But then coming in is £3,000. So I'm there. But then as time's gone on, it's kind of like, okay, cool. Now I've got, you know, um, £6,000 coming in. So now I've got £8,000 coming in. But it's like, but I'm still below zero. So I've still got more going out every month than that's coming in. So I'm in a place now where, it's, and these are, I'm just making up figures. And this, I'm in a place now where it's kind of like, I can see the light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah. You know, I'm in the best position I've been in in the year, in the year last year, in the last two and a half, three years, actually. But... I've still got more going out than coming in. Although I, when summer comes, like which because we're in March right now, yeah, yeah. when we get to like August, right, I should be balancing out a little bit. Like I'm not, I won't be still making money, but I should be in a place where it's like, okay, now we're around that zero mark, <laughs> you know. So that's where I'm at. And these are the struggles which people don't see. Like yeah. I've got this quote unquote successful business that you know that's doing well, and it is. I've got like nine, ten barbers. You know, they're all making money. You know, um, the business in itself actually covers itself. The issue is that it doesn't fully cover the debts yeah. that I incurred opening up the place. So if we take away the debts, the business is great. Yeah, yeah. It's just those debts are still there. You know, I still borrowed, you know, over 100,000, 200, 300,000. I remember when I opened up the place, I was like, I owe about 300,000 pounds. <laughs> you know, and that's because it cost about... 200 or just over 200,000 pounds, including buying a lease to open up the place and anything like that. And then also I owed money because I just bought my family home just before this place came in. And that was one of the struggles where I was like, I wanted to make sure that my family, I had my family home so that if, even if this fails and crashes, it doesn't affect my family life. It's like, okay, cool. We've yeah. got the place that we're supposed to be living in. Because if you do it the other way around and the business crashes, then everything else crashes. So I want to make sure that, you know, in the risk which I'm taking... I looked after my family first. Yeah. <laughs> so these were all the struggles and so much other things which happened along, along the line. And it's like, you know, as I said, I'm still in debt. The debts have reduced, <laughs> but I'm still in debt. Yeah. And I've still got more going out every month than coming in. But the business is improving. And as I said, zero's there. You know, I was there. Like, we're like, we're like there now. Yeah. And even when I get to zero, I still got debts. It just, it, it's funny because I'm looking forward to the place where I'm in manageable debt. That's what I'm looking forward to. That's what the summer is, manageable debt. Yeah. 
And, and that's like real life business though, right? Yeah. You know, you make money through debt and maybe yeah. people are using money and, you know, it's great that you outlined that. But whilst you were going through those, you know, hurdles, like, yeah. you know, 300,000 debt, what was your mindset like then? What, what were you thinking and how did you overcome that? My mindset was, I have no time to wallow in kind of like and pity myself. I just have to get through it. Like my mindset was at the time was kind of like, you know what, God, literally, this is literally what it was. I was like, God, like, I don't know how I'm going to get through this, but I kept saying, but I'm going to get through this. I don't know how I'm going to get all this money, but I'm going to do it. And people around me were like, this doesn't make no sense though. Like, where are you getting the money from? And I was like, you know what? I don't know, but I just have to make it happen. I just have to make it happen. So during that time, I just, I just almost relied on this promise I felt like I, I heard from God, which was like, you know what, every day that comes, you know, take care of that day. Don't worry about the next day. Just take care of what you need to take care of on that day and then let the next day take care of itself because when you come to the next day, you have to sort that out. But that day sort out. So that was just my mindset, just like... That's the reason why I even wrote The Struggles Rule at the time because I just knew when you look back on things, you forget. But I remember, like, no jokes... I remember having to take every penny I had out of all my accounts to round up money because I, I need to make payments. So it's like every single account, like you look at every, if you looked at, if I go show you my bank statements, you'll see like I said about a year ago, a year and a half ago, let's say, plenty of times where I was transferring, like I had like, you know, you got a random account and it's got like 72p in there. I was taking 72p out of that account, putting that into my current account. Okay, that, that account's got 9p, taking the 9p out. And listen, I'm not even making up like, I'm not even making up. I'm literally, this is what it was. It was like taking a penny from there. You know, literally, no jokes. Like, that's got 2p in it. Take 2p, put that in there. Because I had to run up as much money as possible. Because, like, I owe this money. Or I have to pay the builder. Or I have to pay the lease. You know, I all these different things. I was like, you know, I need to find money from somewhere. Like, payday loans. Okay, you know, okay, this payday loan. Okay, it's going to £10,000. Okay, they won't do it for me. I need a um, guarantor. Okay, my wife needs to be a guarantor. Thank you. Okay, you have a guarantor. No worries. Okay, I need to get more money. Okay, that place is willing to give me five thousand pounds, but I need a guarantor. But I can't use my wife now, for whatever reason. So okay, I remember my publicist, who's like my friend. Um, I was like, okay, I need I need your help. I need you to be a guarantor. You know, and it's like obviously you know that if I don't make the payments, then they come to you all that kind of stuff there. And she was just like, you know what? You got a lot of good friends, man. She's, she's like, you know, she's like, you know what? Um, she's like, you know, I trust you. No worries, no worries. I I I'll do that for you. Great, you know. Um. A friend, can I borrow money off you? I'll pay you back, you know. Because I had maybe other loans coming through. I was like, can I borrow £10,000 off you? I'll give you back £11,000 in five weeks. Then it's like, cool. Done that. Then the loan came through in five weeks. Paid my friend back. He's £10,000 with, with the extra £1,000. And actually what happened was, actually one stage was, I remember I was two days late to pay him. So I gave him back an extra £200 to say, you know what? Listen, I know I said I was going to pay back on Monday. But I know that today's Wednesday, so there's an extra two hundred pounds. So they say I was supposed to give you back you now about a thousand pounds. So there's one thousand two hundred yeah. back. And my reason for that was kind of like I had to make sure that my social credit stayed intact, because when I maxed out all of my credit with the official credit agencies, you know, like the banks and stuff like that, and they weren't giving me no more money, I had to rely on people. And that came into like my publicist being a guarantor for me. That came into my friend borrowing me money to other people I knew. Like I borrowed money from about twelve to fifteen different people. Like, right. and offered them, a lot of them back interest. Some of them said they weren't taking interest. You know, thank you. But the reason why these things went through is because of my social 
credit. And if I didn't have good social credit, meaning that people trusted me and I paid back the money I said I'd do in the past and all of those things there, this would never have happened. So during the period of that time, it was just me focusing on what do I need to do to make it happen? That was it. Like I, I, I couldn't pity myself and it was stressful on the brain, like waking up. Like there were mornings I woke up and I remember these are true stories. Waking up in the morning, I was like, I've got till like nine o'clock tonight to make £20,000. And that's the true story. I remember just being like, and then I had to leave the house as normal, make my wife not feel stressed. She doesn't know what's going on. Go to work, cut hair as normal, but be smiley, do morning Insta. <laughs> this is what this is what was going on all at the time. But in my head being like, where am I getting this £20,000 from? And I was just like, okay, I just need to think about everything all my resources, people online, and just like Googling, quick loans, you know, loans that pay out on the day, you know, all these different things. It's like high interest and just being like focusing on the solution. What can you do? So during the time, my mindset was just set on what do I need to do to make it happen? Yeah. That's all I could think about. There's no time to think about pitying yourself or the stress you're going through or if it goes wrong, the only thing you can think about, the only thing I could think about is what needs to be, be done to make it happen. Okay, and um, you talked about social credit there, which is another you know, part of your book. Yeah. Can you tell the audience a bit about social credit and you know, the importance of that? Yeah, social credit is so important. Like, it's almost as important as your official credit score because your social credit basically is something which I made up, which is to do with your credit among your peers and your, you know, the friends of your peers and your peers' peers. And it's just about if your friends or, your, you know, people who know of you or know you were to give you a credit ranking, saying, you know, is he or is she trustworthy? You know, does she pay money back? Does he pay money back? You know, does he stick to his word? If she says she's going to meet you, does she meet you? All of those things there, what's, let's say on a scale of one to 10, where do you think you'd be ranked? And if you've got a low score, you need to say to yourself, it's important that you actually make that right. Because this score among your peers is important because you're going to need your friends or your friends or your friends at some point. I bought money of people. I remember one point, a client of mine, so not a friend, a client of mine was vouching for me with a friend of his to borrow money to me. And the reason why is because he said that he knew and trusted that I would pay the money back. And that's where your social credit comes in. So when you're borrowing £10 of someone and not paying back and you think to yourself, oh, it's only £10. No, you're, you're, you're putting a dent on your social credit. When you say you're going to meet up with someone and you don't turn up, that's a dent on your credit. You know, when you, you know, taking someone's football, even as a kid, and like, yeah, I'll bring, them back the I'll bring you the football back tomorrow, and you don't, that's a dent on your credit. Because when people look at you and they say, and they think of you and they say, what do you think of that person? In their head, they're going to think about, well, he didn't return the ball, actually. And actually, she still owes me £10. And you know what? No, he never turns up to meetings. Or she's always late. These are all things to do with your social credit, which is very important because... I had to rely on my social credit to get this place open. And if it wasn't for my social credit, this place would not be open. So I think it's really important that people understand that from a very young age, that your social credit is important. And what your peers think of you and what they say about you is important. And another thing which I outlined in a book is, 
you can do 10 amazing things and it only takes one thing for them to forget the 10 things. So people remember the bad things more than they remember the good things, which isn't always, you could say, quote unquote, right, but it's just the reality of life. And that's what even Shaping Up Culture, the book was all about, like giving people the reality of life because you find people in this place where it's like, that's not fair. And it's like, well, it doesn't have to be fair. It's just life. You know, you say, you know, you go into a job interview and you're like, well, they shouldn't judge me by my image. You're correct. They shouldn't judge you by your image. But people do. And so, and Shaping Up Culture was just about saying, well, this doesn't mean it's right, but this is what people do. So how are you going to combat that? You know, you could have an argument on the street and someone sees you and they judge your whole being on the fact that they saw you arguing on the street. And you could say, but they don't know what happened. But they're still going to judge you on that. If you walk into an office right now and the person in the desk you're interviewing is that person you saw arguing on the street, you can't help but think, ooh, yeah, they, they've got bad manners or they're aggressive or they're, they, they haven't, you know, they're just arguing on the street. And that's what Shaping Up Culture is just about, like, you know, understanding, like, you know, always in an interview, your social credit, you know, um, the struggles rule, just giving people the reality of life and how life actually runs. So, yeah, back to your social credit, it's just like, it's really important, it's especially for young people. That's why I gave examples of young examples, because especially when, you, when you're young, 12, 13, 15, whatever, 16, it's important to make sure that your social credit is intact because if you have someone vouching or having someone who wants to give a reference of you and the only memories they have of you is you not giving back footballs or not paying back 50p's, even if they feel like saying, you know, I can't judge him on that, the fact is the only judgment they have of you is a negative one. Yeah, that's true. And then um, where did that come from with you? Where was that from, you know, your upbringing, your you know, um, environment with, you know, I mean, your mother was in business as well. Yeah, yeah. Was it inspired from a younger age? Um, I guess I've been an analyst of life, so I can't say it's... Well, no. Everything in life is added to who I am right now from growing up. But I've been an analyst in the sense of I really assess people, I really analyse people and situations and things, and I'm always asking questions. So I always wonder why. Like, that's my question, you know. So if, if I see you and you've got a successful business, I wonder why, and I look into why. How did you get to this place, you know? What are the things you put in place? So I care more about the story of how you got there than actually believing that, you know, what you're, like, as example, like I've used the example in a book, Big Shaq, you know, Michael Dapper, you know, he blew up after that fire in the booth. It's undoubtedly, it's undoubtedly he blew up yeah. then at that point there. But for me, I'm like, well, how did you get to that point there? You know, and what are all the steps that you put in? Because to get onto fire in the booth in the first place, there must have been things you had to do to get onto fire in the booth. So it's not just simply that you walked into Charlie Soft's office and said, hey, I'm going to do a fire in the booth. And this is, on my, of my personality, I'm always wondering, you know, I want to see the build-up. How? I want to see your story. So in that, I feel that's what has, um, like, inspired me to write a book. That's what kind of gave me this information is because I'm always studying people and situations. Like, I want to know the depths of how it actually came. I want to know the details of how it came and I think that's what put me in a place where I was like, actually, well, you know, I made up social credit. It's because I was looking at people and myself and other people and being like, okay, what would make this person, you know, help this person and not help that person? I didn't have a name for it. I didn't have social credit. I was just like, you know, why would you, you know, you help me out. You just met me as an example. And 
I'm making an example and you've helped me out. So my question is, well, what made you help me out? Then I think about it, it's like, okay, oh, because you know that person who knows me and that person's vouched for me or you see me online and you think I'm trustworthy or you've heard that I actually pay things back. So that's the reason why you helped me. So I'm studying and basically assessing all these different things and then it's kind of like, then I put a title to it. Oh, that's social credit. And off the back of that, um, you know, so you work with a lot of successful people, a lot of yeah. your clients. Yeah. What's the key trait that you see with these, you know, people who are at the top of their gaming, you know, whether it's entertainment, yeah. business, their own markets? Um, key traits, hardworking. Um, hardworking is, is a major thing. There's more work that goes into like rehearsing someone's craft than actually performing it. Being like, you know, there's more work that goes into, you know, training than running a, for Usain Bolt, a nine point something second race. You know, he spends months training to run a race that's going to be guaranteed almost under 10 seconds. You know, when I look at people like Anthony Joshua, like I see how hard he works. You know, when he's leading up to a fight five days a week, you're training. You know, he doesn't get involved in social activities or anything like that. He's focused on on training. You know, um, even the musicians, which I know, like some of the musicians I know, like example, let's say Tiny Temper, like especially when he's touring, like he got a person, he's got a personal trainer and he just knows that being on stage, especially with the way he performs, is energetic. So he's got a personal trainer. He trains hard, you know, during those time he eats well, you know, drinks well because he just knows that, what do you call it? He wants to give good performances and able to do that, he has to train. So it's not only about him getting his lyrics right and, you know, make sure that the cue and all those things and rehearsing the song itself is about outside of the actual performance, he needs to make sure he's fit enough to do a hour set today and then another hour set tomorrow or maybe three hours, uh, hour set here today, then later on another hour set later on. So what I've seen in all these different people is just the hard work that goes into um, their craft. So I think a major, major, major thing is hard work and the time that they put into it. Because when we see people blow up, as an example, like Michael Dapper, you know, like Anthony Joshua, you know, like whoever it is, you see them blow up and it's like, um, it feels like, almost like to you, they started yesterday. But when you look at everyone's story, there's like, oh, there's 10 years worth of work behind that. Yeah. You know, I remember Tiny Tempest saying he had a whole album recorded before he recorded his first album, which never came out. People don't see that. But we don't see that, you know, yeah. so you scrapped a whole album and we recorded a whole other album, you know. You know, Anthony Joshua, you know, we see him at the Olympics, but, and that's when he kind of like, he became a name, but you see all the training he's done before that, you know, whoever it is. And that's what I think is, is a major, as other things as well, but a major aspect is um, hard work. And another actually major aspect is with a lot of these people is their teams, which they have around them. Another important thing, their teams, I was talking to um, last week, I was cutting, I don't know, you know, Dummy, Dummy um, owns um, Disturbing London. Okay, yeah. yeah. So he's Tiny Tempest manager. And he was saying to me that, you know, it's 10 years now since Pass Out came out. You know, they're still here. And he was just like a major aspect of what has got him to where he's at. And them being in this space still is the team they have. And he says he needs to start, like, he talks about it, but he needs to start talking about that a lot more because people always ask these questions. It's like his team, you know, and it's the same thing with me. Like from early, I've had a team. I had a team when I was a barber working in DNLs. I had a PA, I had a publicist, but I was a barber, you know, and I was paying them wages as well. And at that point, there I wasn't making any money back from them, 
But I just knew that I needed a team. Like I knew that there was so much stuff which was coming in which I couldn't do by myself. And also I always say this to people, if you have a business and you're doing everything yourself and you know everything's running smoothly and everything's functioning smoothly, then the truth is two things. One, you're not pushing yourself that hard and your business isn't as big as you think it is. Because if you're pushing yourself that hard and your business is as big as you think it is, you should not be able to do everything by yourself. You should be in a point where you cannot do everything by yourself. You should need a team. You know, and if you're someone who just kind of like, actually you don't want to push it to the heights, then okay, cool, you can. You can just actually be like, and this is not me demeaning it, like you can be, and I'm not, I literally don't want anyone to take this as me demeaning it, but you can be a barber who works in a shop, as example, and your whole thing is I just want to make this much money, go home to my family, spend time with my family, go out with my friends on the weekend, and that is fine. Like that's literally, it's nothing wrong with that at all. But if you're trying to run business and keep pushing, keep pushing, keep pushing, then you're going to have to need a team. And this is another important thing I've seen with all of these people. Where were the people, whether it's Anthony Joshua, he has a team around him. Stormzy has a team around him. Tiny Temper has a team around him. You know, Reggie Yates has a team around him. Like whoever it is, some of the successful people around me who I've seen, you know, Dummy has a team around him. They all have a team. How do you pick that team? How do you put that team? How do you, how do you find like good quality people? Because it's, it's hard, you know, like having my own recruitment business, mm. building teams for my clients, and it can be a challenge, yeah. you know, finding the best people. How, how do you do it? I think, first of all, you acknowledge your strengths and weaknesses. So the first thing you need to see is what am I strong at? What am I weak at? The things which you're strong at, put aside for now. What am I weak at? So that's the first area you need to hire in. Because if you're the start of your business and I'm a barber or I'm running a barber shop, my strengths are going to be the things that I can do. So, you know, I'm good at, quote unquote, let's say admin. I, I can do the admin. So I'm good at that. Um, I'm good at the timesheet. So, I'm, you know, that's part of admin, you know. I'm good at that. Um, you might say, you know, I enjoy cleaning. So I clean the shop. I'm good at that. So cool. Those are your strengths. So now it's about what are your weaknesses? Um, my weaknesses are, I don't know how to use social media. I'm just making up examples. Yeah. Uh, what else are you, are you weak at? I'm not good at marketing. You know, okay. And you got the weaknesses are the things which your businesses need as well. So it's like, what else are you weak at? Um, I'm also weak when it comes to writing. So those are the first areas you need to hire in to fill in those, those gaps. Because to run a business, you're going to need to do writing. You know, you're going to need to do your social media, as example, to promote yourself. So it's like, okay, I need to hire someone to fill in those gaps, which is who are good in those areas there. So that's why when it comes to building a team, I always tell people, look at what your weaknesses are first and fill in those gaps. Because those are the cracks in your business. Your strengths are the things which are, which are sprinting for you. They're, they're helping you. That's, you know, those are the things which are all good. But your weaknesses are the cracks in your business. So sort out that first. And then when also when it comes to actually um, hiring people, it's important that you do your due diligence in hiring people. And here's a, a fault of mine, another we a weakness. This is an actual weakness of mine. I hire incorrectly because I hire based on what the job can do for people and not what people can do for the job because I feel sorry for people. I not only feel sorry for people, I start thinking to myself, you know what, this job will really be good for you. Like, you know, this will really help you and get you back on the right track. And there's a place for that, you know, that kind of like social enterprise type thing. Yeah, yeah. There's a place for that. But when you're building a business that needs to flourish, you first need to get the business to a place where it's working and then you can start giving back. You know, there's no point of trying to give back when you're not even in a stable place. You know, it's kind of like, it's like, it's kind of like you jumping into sinking sand and saying, I'm trying to pull you out. 
but you're on the same ground as them. <laughs> you know, you're both falling. Yeah. So what you need to do is get yourself on solid ground yeah. and then pull you someone don't up. Don't sink together. Don't sink together. <laughs> so when you're building your business, it's important that you put yourself on solid ground and then you start pulling people out and say, yeah, social enterprise, let me help you, let me help, let me help that. So even like when it came to me hiring, I realised that I was weak at that. So I got my publicist to hire my PA. And she went through this like bigger stages, like five step stages, you know, and in the, in the hiring process, what we put into the hiring process was everything in every stage pointed to something you'd have to do in a job. So as an example, it came with email first. Email, in, email us, we send you all these questions, answer the questions. The point of the questions wasn't only to hear your answers, it was to actually see how detailed your answers were. Because I need to make sure that you were comfortable with writing. So if you gave me one word answers, you wouldn't get the job. Because in being... My PA, you're going to have to do a lot of writing, dictation, you know. I'll be working and on the phone talking about, yeah, I need to write letters on. So, you know, write this down, you know, or someone's emailed you. Like my PA will call me, yeah, you got an email. I'll be doing dictation, you know, say this. So it's important that they're comfortable with writing. Once they got past that stage, then they had a phone call conversation with my publicist. If they got past that stage, then they met my publicist one-on-one. Then if they got past that stage, then they spoke to me. So in hiring a team, it's important that you do your due diligence and actually like put things in place to find the right people. Because prior to this, I'd hired quite a few people that just let me down. But I never actually went through the stages of hiring properly. So, you know, a team is important and it's important just to round it up is to find out where your weaknesses are, yeah. the areas you need help in and understanding that every aspect of your business is a place for a team member. What I mean by that is your cleaner is part of your team because your cleaner comes in and cleans your space and helps you function. You know, if you've got dirt on the floor and that doesn't help you, it doesn't allow you to think clearly or you have to come in and clean up yourself, which takes up your time, or you come in and it's kind of like you've got all dirt on the floor and you're tripping up, you understand that the cleaner's role is very important. Yeah. So your cleaner, he or she, is part of your team. You know, and just understanding all those parts there, even if they're not directly working for the business, you know, if you've got a food restaurant, you know, if they're not directly cooking the food or serving at the till, those other people are still part of your team. The people that fly for you are part of your team. The people that help you with your social media are part of your team. And just understanding that everybody that adds to your business is part of your team. That's so real, man. And um, that's great advice for anyone who's looking to build out. Um, just to wrap it up then, uh, we've got a quick five... Uh, okay. Five questions. Cool. Uh, we try and personalise them for everyone we speak okay. to. What's the most exciting show that you've cut hair on? The most exciting show that I've cut hair on, I think it was Louis Vuitton um, when Virgil just got the job. His first, his first show because um, there was the excitement around it and it was sunny, it was in Paris and everybody came out. I mean, I mean everybody came out, you know, Kanye West, you know, Kim Kardashian, um, Kid Caddy, like just everybody came out and the vibe there was just kind of like, it was just a excitement in the air, you know? So yeah, I think that's the most exciting one I've done. That's fine. If there's anybody out there whose hair you'd want to cut, but you haven't yet, who would they be? I think I've always said Barack Obama's hair is someone I want to cut, but it wouldn't be because of the haircut itself. I think it'd be more because of um, what would go into cutting his hair, like the Secret Service, would I get picked up? Would I, like, I don't know, it's just kind of like, you know, like you watch all these movies, it's just kind of like, what would be the lead up to me cutting his hair? Blindfolded, you Yeah, way. would I be blindfolded? You know, would, it, would could I drive there myself? Would they have to come and pick me up? You know, yeah. like what would it, 
What would be the steps to going to cut his hair? Yes. Uh, if you weren't a barber, what would you be doing? Um, I think, you know, I'm not sure what I'd be doing, but based off the things I'm interested in, I could be doing something in marketing, probably. Okay. Um, what would be your advice to your 20-year-old self? My 20-year-old self, I'd tell myself, uh, go find your wife quicker. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, <laughs> no, that would be, could be, would be yeah. good advice. I don't know, my 20-year-old self, continue on the road which you're going on. And um, I think I just actually just tell myself, continue on the road you're going on. And I think maybe one thing I'd say is stop sacrificing the things you're supposed to be doing for other people. Because I think a lot of times, especially back then, I had a personality where everything I did was kind of based on someone else and how it affected someone else. So even if it really hindered me, which is a place for sacrifice, but even if it really hindered me and even kind of like put me in a place of, you could say, wrongdoing, I might put myself in that kind of compromising position because I'm kind of helping you. So if I kind of took it a bit too, too fast, I think I'd advise myself to say, you know, there's a place for sacrificing, but don't put yourself in a place where it's kind of like you're harming yourself, you know, to almost facilitate someone else. Quality. No, thanks a lot for that, Mark. Um, no and finally, where can people find you and get your book? Um, you go to my website, slidercuts.com. Yeah. If you want to find me, just type in Slider Cuts because I'm on every platform under yeah. Slider Cuts. Website, Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, Twitter, wherever. You type in Slider Cuts, you'll find me. If you want to buy my book, literally go to my website and there's a link at the top. The opening page is a link and you can buy my book. Cool. And uh, remember to like, share and subscribe and uh, we'll see you in the next episode. Thank you guys. Cheers. Thanks again, man. Thank you for having so me. Cool.